placed against a stone wall. You're not using your brain. That's what the right man wants you to do. Look at you. What makes you ashamed of being black? You might know how hard it is. Being a woman, a black woman at that. In this white man's world, sometimes we overlook the fact that we can ride hard now since we won't be knowing the pain we be caused. This white man's world. This white man's world. I ain't saying I'm innocent at all. This is Views on the Seven Podcast. Peace to Park. Yeah. Dear sister, got me twisted up in prison. I'm mission. Crying, looking at my nieces and my nephews' picture. They say don't let this cool world get you. Kinda suspicious. Swear one day you might leave me for somebody that's rich. Twist the cap off the bottle. I take a sip and see tomorrow. Gotta make it. If I had to beg the bottle. Love letters, late night, block down and quiet. Your brothers don't receive their mail. Best believe we ride. Eating Jack Mack, staring at the walls of silence inside this cage where they captured all my ways and violence. In time, I learned a few lessons. Never fall for riches. Apologies to my true sisters. Far from bitches. Help me raise my black nation. Reparations to do. It's true. Caught up in this world, I took advantage of you. This is the Views from the Seven Podcast. We ain't finished. That Chicago kid, I need you to not touch this. Oh man, peace y'all. This is the Views from the Seven podcast. Bonus, 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 bonus. This you got to spend some joint with my homeboy, Skinny. Yeah, yeah. Ivan. Okay, Pogs of Pete. Ed. What's happening? What's up, y'all? If y'all can't tell, man, I'm feeling good today, man. I'm feeling real fucking good today. It's been... In good mood. Yeah, man. Hey, I've been putting in so mad you work. a lot of sleep. I've been putting in mad work. Man, it's been two years since I was able to fit in this shirt, baby. And my body is in it. That's work, baby. I'm working. Keep working, keep working. I see you. Well, what's up with y'all, fellas? Uh, not really fitting yet, but. That's cool. Just because you built like Captain America before the serum. <laughs> before the serum, Steve Rogers. <laughs> what's up, fellas? How y'all doing, man? Not, not, not about your weekends or nothing. Just how y'all doing mentally? What's up? Oh, I'm good, I'm man. In space. You always good. I shouldn't even ask you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a good space. Uh, I'm in a good space. Yeah, yeah. Same here. Yeah. yeah, man. I see you, man. Broke out the slides again. You already know. <laughs> a day beach. You going to a day beach after this? Uh, I'm already there. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I seen that Corona commercial. You ain't got to tell me where my beach at no more. Mm. Okay. <laughs> All right, man. Without further ado, y'all. I told you, man, we wasn't going to let our foot off the gas. Um, we wasn't going to let the things that's happening in our community go to waste. We're not going to get over it. Um, today, man, we have a special brother, man, an elder. Um, he is the f- one of the founders of the Las Vegas and Houston chapters of the People's Party. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. And, man, we're going to get into it, man. We're going to get into a bunch of, we're going to get into a bunch of stuff. 
uh, things are still going in our on, on in our community today, and we're gonna keep them fresh. I think it's important, man, that we start with our elders and work our way up. Down, down. Was it down? Yeah, yeah. No, because our elders are the the foundation. Okay. Facts. Gotcha. That's down. So that's up. So we're gonna work our way up, like you say. Gotcha. Yeah, man. God, see. I'm not I, look. I'm not getting my English from skinny, dude. <laughs> I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm glad Ant understood you. Yeah, I wasn't expecting you to, bro. I ain't even gonna lie to you. <laughs> All right. Without further ado. All right, what's going on, my brother? Brother Creer, how you doing? This is uh, doing Spence. All right, doing all right. Uh, you are live on the Views from the Seven podcast. How you doing, my brother? Uh, doing good, doing good. Uh, just sitting there uh, <laughs> on a Sunday chilling. Glad to be here. I hear you. Um, Any guys, fellas, I want to start. First and foremost, we want to say thank you. We really want to say thank you for um, for this opportunity to man just digging your brain man get as much knowledge as we can as they say yeah 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 well i appreciate it when you think about it uh, i appreciate it because uh it's important to me and my comrades i mean we we uh uh we still here but but we're losing comrades every year left and right so it's important to the legacy of the black Panther party to uh to live on and it's fifty, almost fifty-five years later, and it's living on. A lot of youth, you know, look look toward uh, the party and uh, stuff. So I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Um, before we even get into um the legacy and the history of the Black Panther Party, how are you doing mentally? You know, this is the fiftieth, fiftieth, fiftieth anniversary of the assassination of Carl Hampton. Um, but right. with so many right. of your comrades um, being assassinated and being in prison, how do you deal with it all? Well, you know, uh, the thing about it is uh, it's to continue the struggle and uh, and continue being a servant of people. You know, I mean, uh, you know, many of my comrades, well, myself, we still participate and. Uh, uh, pushing and fighting and we might not be able to do the things that we did when we were younger because mm. as he, P. Newton said, you know, the, uh, uh, the youth is future revolution. Uh, mm. But the thing about it, I'm so proud of uh, these young brothers and sisters now that's been in the street for 20 days straight. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, I, 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 it brings a smile to my face, you know. Um, actually, and uh, in fact, I was talking to my comrades uh, the other day, and she said she, it, it brings tears to her eyes because of all the things that we went through. Mm. Mm. And uh, to get to this point, uh, and it's not the end because the struggle is uh, protracted. It's not, uh, and partly we should say that, uh, you know, it's not, you don't go from A to Z. Mm. Everything is A, B, C, D. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And so uh, 
I'm, I'm very proud of uh, young folks out there in the street, and like I say, it brings a smile to my face. Hmm. Woo! So, starting off, um, your beginning, how did you find your way into the struggle? Well, you know, the thing about it is, uh, uh, leaving that from uh, uh, my parents and the community that I grew up in. Mm. You know, I, I grew up with uh, uh, my father, in fact, uh, Dr. Clear, practice of medicine in Las Vegas, and my, my mother, uh, Dr. Clear. I mean, I grew up on stories of uh, the Depression. I mean, my mother talking about how when uh, uh, a neighbor needed, didn't have anything, and they might only had a cup of beans, they split it with them, you know. Mm and how the community would come together. I, I, I mean, the first time I saw my daddy cry was when Martin Luther King was assassinated. Mm. And he, uh, uh, I mean, he had tears. I mean, he wasn't booing, but he had tears in his eyes. And he kept saying, why did they kill him? He, he kept saying, that man ain't never done nothing to nobody. Yeah. You know, why did they kill him? So it's like Prince's song, The Sign of the Times. You know, I grew up, I was born in 1952. You know, I grew up in seeing police with dogs, and I ain't talking about as demonstrations. I'm talking about in the street yeah. as a kid. You know, and them sticking dogs on on people. You know, and all the police were white. And uh, so I said at the same time, and growing up watching the whole civil rights movement. You know, uh, and because that's the thing with TV, just like now, <laughs> now it's social media. Yeah. But but back then, you know, TV was you know. Of course, it was black and white, but it's something that you saw. You said the newspaper. Relax. People getting beat, or or you saw the Vietnam War in actual time. You know, so it it had a huge impact. Mm. So back back then, the majority of your you guys' information was through the newspaper and television, correct? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Newspaper. And then like I said, you had like you had you had TV. You had Walter Cronkite, who was one of the because Walter Cronkite was first one told the truth about what was happening in Vietnam. You know, because American people were being told how you know we were kicking ass. Yeah. And Walter Cronkite went over there, and he came back and he said it. We losing the war. You know what I mean? And plus, plus. Now he's losing the war. What are we fighting for? You yeah. know what I mean? Mm. So he was the first one to tell the truth on television. Right, right. Mm. So so with the, the, because you grew up in, you say, 59? 52. 52. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I was so, born in 52. Yeah, I was okay, born so in from 52. So you, woo, yeah. you, that was right in the middle of the craziness. Yeah. And so then my, my family moved to uh, L.A. and, uh, 1960. My father went to medical school in uh, wow. Los Angeles. So you witnessed so, all, it all. So we, so we moved to LA, and and I tell you the thing about community. Even back then, it, they used to have a, uh, a Griffith Park in LA, which is a big, big, big place. But every summer, they used to have a a, a picnic called the Houstonian, mm -hmm. and it would be thousands of people that either were in LA. Because, you know, the, the migration during World War II, most of the blacks that came to California from Louisiana, Texas, Arkansas. And uh, 
So they had they would have the Houstonian picnic. So you, it would be thousands of people. It'd be people that were living in L.A. and their families would come in from Houston, and it was a big celebration. People from Houston would bring like like newspaper, uh, one of the black newspapers here is called the Four Times, which is still being published. And people would bring the Four Times so people could see news about what was happening in the black community in Houston. So I can say it was a sign of the time, and people were, you know, it, it was. Family was, was was very important, yes. you know, back yeah. in the fifties and the sixties. So, how did you guys throughout? Um, how much of a part did these huge assassinations play in the making of who you are? Um, you know, the Martins, um, the, the Malcolms, um, very prominent figures in our community, even abroad, um, just assassinated. Yeah. And so how and, you know the thing about Malcolm, you know, and, and I, I want to say this that, like I say, just like the news media is now, so some call them fake news, but 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 even back then, I, I, what I want to say before I talk about Malcolm, yeah, it's like when you watched on TV and they would say that they didn't say the nation is on, they would say the black Muslims. It was like to put fear in people's. Art, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And we have Malcolm yep. talking about the devil and the white folks and stuff like that. But you know, when Malcolm was assassinated, then everybody in my generation—you read the autobiography of Malcolm X, you know, by Alex Haley—and Motown put out a, a LP. A lot of people know what an LP is, but it was an album. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was his speeches. And so it inspired our generation. Now, the Black Panther Party, we consider ourselves the heirs of Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. That uh, that uh, we were his children. Mm -hmm. That he talked about the battle in the bullet because he had to uh, remember the party. For one thing, the Black Panther Party, when it started, was called the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. Absolutely. Because we're dealing with the same issues that we're dealing with now. And it was worse now. I mean, and... So, because we said we had a right that black people, all people, had a right to, to defend yourself, defend your home, defend your family. But also, we believed in, like Malcolm said, the ballot or the bullet, that you oh. still had to use political power because, you know, that's that's how it was, was available then and was available now. Yes. Mm. So you are a, pro, uh, a proponent of... Uh, voting and involving yourself in the political system. Yeah, well, you know, it's just like uh, Elders Cleveland ran for president uh, yep. on the on the peace and peace, uh, peace and freedom party ticket. You know, uh, Bobby Seale ran for mayor, and Elaine Brown ran for city council, and we scared the, the mess out of <laughs> the folks that was open because the mayor at that time, had been in office 14 years and had never, ever been in a runoff. Mm -hmm. And we forced a runoff. We we got 43% of the vote. Oh, wow. Wow. And, and uh, yeah, we got 43% of the vote. And uh, But we had a well-oiled machine, and like I said, he had never done it. So you have to use all, all tools and, uh, and all people because it's a place for everybody. <laughs> In the struggle, you know. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, just like in any revolution, it's people that is, was trying to say, was financing this stuff, whether it was Fidel in Cuba or, yeah. you know. So, you know, everybody has a place. You know, we, we have so many people that, well, you know, it's, They'll get down on this brother, this sister. They don't think they're down enough or whatever. But everybody got a place. So, do you do you believe in the um, the quote unquote white allies? And how do we how do we correctly use them? And how can they use their position of power? Well, you know, the thing about it is just like for one thing, you have different stories about the Black Panther Party and it says civil rights organization. No, we wasn't a civil rights organization. I mean, civil rights struggle was necessary, but civil was law. Mm. I mean, and the thing about it was the laws was already in the book, but you had all these states' right people saying they wasn't going to follow the federal law. Yeah, That's why they sent in federal troops, you know what I mean, to, 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 to integrate the colleges or whatever. Mm. The laws was already in the book, so that but we were a human rights organization. We believed in, in uh, uh, everybody's right to decent housing, everybody's right to, to uh, full employment, uh, health care, uh, all that stuff. Uh, and on the issue of, you have to remember that we didn't say black power. We said all power to the people. Absolutely, yeah. And it was a, a, a slogan that was chanted around the world and still chanted around the world. That the first Rainbow Coalition wasn't created by Jesse Jackson, it was created by Fred Hampton in Chicago. Yep. When yeah. he brought the, when he brought together the Black Panther Party, uh the Young Lords, which was a Puerto Rican organization, and the Young Patriots was a white organization. He used to call them the white he used to call them hillbillies. Because they all came from just like like we migrated from the south. There's a lot of poor white people migrated from the south to the north. And Fred and the comrades went to them and said, hey, man, y'all got the same problem we got. The police fuck with y'all. You know, you, you don't have decent jobs. Mm. So that was the first Rainbow Coalition. So we had a lot of... Um, uh, correlations with different white organizations. The thing about it is you couldn't join the Black Panther Party because, uh, like we said, we said all power to people, but we uh, said we're talking about black people in particular yep. and all oppressed people. But the reason we said that because we said that we have to show our community that we, as black people, can do stuff for ourselves. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, we had all kind of co- coalitions with uh, it was a white panther for you know. Uh, you know, we had all kind of coalitions with different organizations. We were, we were very, very, very strong supporters of Cesar Vaz and the farm workers mm. when they boycotted Safeway uh, and the grapes and the lettuce. We were in fact, I met Cesar Vaz very, very well. So we were very strong in supporting them. Yeah. You know, uh, so we believe, it's like probably Phil would say, I don't care if you're black, white, brown, red, polka dot, whatever, you know, because you have to, you have to understand white supremacy, and that's what I tell a lot of our brothers and sisters, yeah. is that, you know, you know, we talk about how bad we've been done. 
white supremacists worldwide. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, worldwide. Yeah. They 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 stole from from uh, people of color around the world. Mm. You know, so I mean, we're not the only ones. Uh, I even I remember <laughs> these these people on Facebook. They was arguing about who was done worse, the Native Americans, the indigenous people, or black people. Yeah. Sometimes it's crap to say, you know, rules are worse. I mean, we all, you know, was messed over by, you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, so that's that's, that's, that's our point. Yeah. So we got to have a united front. Because I'll tell you something, this is what I tell people even, you know, because white folks ain't going nowhere. Black folks, we ain't going nowhere. Brown folks ain't going nowhere. Uh, Gays ain't going nowhere, you know. So we got to come together with a, a united strategy yeah. to fight the common enemy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I ain't gonna lie to you, brother. The white pastor party sounds very uncomfortable. <laughs> so, um, coming, coming up, um, coming up in your heyday, what are, who are some of the ancestors that you look to Oh wow, man! Uh, of course, Stokely Carmichael. Mm, mm. Uh, you know, uh, you know Malcolm Martin, and uh, and it's the same. Just like even today, that you know we don't educate them because I, I knew nothing of Marcus Garvey as a kid or as a teenager. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Until I started studying about. Uh, you know, starting about our history, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so. Uh, but of course, you know, I knew about Nat Turner, and uh, you know, so I mean, it's that's the thing is so many people. I mean, just like my father's generation and the generation before him, people think. That you know, well, they piled down to. I mean, it's just like when when the movie Roots came out, and I was in high school. Hmm. You know, <laughs> you had people tell me, "Man, if I lived during that time, they wouldn't have treated me like that." Nigga, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you probably you probably the first motherfucking cow. Oh man, so please don't hit me again. <laughs> you know, so but. So uh, my point is, those generations, we've been fighting for a long time, and we fought in subtle ways. You know what I'm saying? Now, my father, like I said, the game of Douglas, I remember, I remember my father tell me, don't never trust a white person. He told me that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And, but, you know, the thing about systematic racism, now, my grandmother, on my father's side, uh, I got a twin sister. Mm. So when we were born, she uh, she wanted a white doctor to deliver us. Now here's her son going to school to be a doctor, and she wanted a white doctor to deliver us. So let's show you how ingrained, you know, these folks was in our mind. Yeah. Mm. And then when, like I say, back then they didn't have ultrasound. And so my sister was born first, and when they came out and said it was a girl, 
she was upset because you know back then you know boys or men was you know especially you come and she was she was a teacher here in Houston but they came from Bryan Texas you know farming you know you know farmers wanted a boy to help work the fields you yeah. know what I'm saying and uh, then when I was in fact they they said when they said it was good she started hitting the <laughs> hitting the doctor in the chest Damn. and uh. So, so they came back out 15 minutes later. So it's a boy, and she then she hugged the doctor. <laughs> you know? oh, wow! So that's <laughs> the mentality that we had to, that we have to come from, you know. And like a lot of people say, was not, ain't no progress been made, but it's been progress just in our mindset yeah. of who we are as a people, Ooh, cool. you know. And uh, so I mean, just like back then, everybody had what they call a conk, you know. Mm. I'm talking about men, yeah. you know, where they would. Uh, either uh, uh, use a, use an iron to straighten the hair, or put a, uh, the conch or using that lie yeah. to straighten their hair, like James Brown back in, when he first. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. And and or put the root. The woman would put the rouge on to lighten their they skin, mm. or make it look light, not lighten their skin, but it look light. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was the mindset that we were in, and that we've come from. You know. So was your your um, do you trust uh, white people at all? Oh well, well son, I've got some. It's a sister here named uh, and she's white. I call her my sister. Her name is Gloria Ruback. She's uh, well, she's been in the Workers' World Party for years, but uh, and she's also head of the uh, Bias of Death Death, Death Penalty uh, uh, organizations here. But she was down there. When Carl Hampton, I'm telling you how long we've been knowing since she was down there when Carl Hampton was assassinated. Oh wow! You know, mm. so yeah, so yeah, it's a lot of people that's down now. It's uh, you know, it's the same thing. There's a lot of black folks I don't trust. You know what I'm saying? Mm, yeah. You know, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of black. I tell you what, I ask, I ask people from different organizations. They talk about, have you ever been to the bottom? When I say the bottom, I'm talking about the lowest of the low in in the black community. And a lot of people won't even go down there. And you're supposed to be down with the revolution and all that shit. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Have you ever been to the bottom? You know? And uh, so there's a lot of black people I don't trust. Yeah. Wow. Mm. I, uh, this, this is Ivan, man. I um, I had a question. But first of all, first and foremost, I want to say thank you for all the work you put in, you know, on on, on the ground. Because, you know. Uh, yeah. It's, it's yeah, well, I appreciate needed. that. Much needed. Um, but, you know, I... I want to, I want to say thank you to y'all because it's just like a lot of times I meet young people and they'll tell me the same thing and uh, and it's an honor to meet me and that kind of stuff and I tell them it's an honor to meet them because they continue to struggle mm. and if it wasn't for them then everything that we did would have been for nothing. Mm. I remember uh, back in October we had a program in Oakland for the 50th anniversary of the. Uh, started a free breakfast program mm-hmm. and there was a young sister uh, she uh, was going to UC Berkeley she was from Alabama and she came up to me and she she had tears in her eyes and she said oh thank you for me and she always had me cry <laughs> you know but like I told her and I told her thank you because it wasn't y'all keeping the legacy alive and, and keep organizing because it's protracted struggle. You know, like I said earlier, you know, I don't go from A to Z. It's something we got to push. Some people, yep. especially a lot of young people, get frustrated 
and you know, well, we ain't made no progress, and no, but it's it's a protracted struggle. I mean, just like, uh, and you can come back to your question, but it's just like with the Cuban Revolution. I mean, Fidel Castro had his little band, and they attacked the army barracks. They got arrested. He served two years in prison, got out, went over to Mexico. That was a defeat. That was a setback. Went over to Mexico, met Shay, put together, and then the rest is history. So you're going to have defeats. You know, it's just like a lot of these Bernie supporters. You know, uh, hey, it's a setback. But this Trump got to go, man. He got to go. Yeah. I mean, he has already appointed two Supreme Court justices. They've appointed, uh, 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 appointed 57 federal judges. And all these are lifetime positions. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mitch McConnell and Graham are going around right now trying to get older justices to retire so they could appoint them before the election because they fear they're going to lose the election. You know, he got to go, man. And people don't think about it. I mean, it's, it's I mean, take a lump, you got his feet, but we got to get him out of there. Yeah. Um, I had I had a question for you. Um, I, like you you talking about Trump, and I know earlier in the in the in the podcast you were talking about you alluded to like the fake news uh, situation and how they described you guys. Right. Um, when you talk, when I when I read up, when I read when I read on what you guys were doing, it was like you know the sickle cell program, the, the free the the breakfast, right. the free breakfast. Um, I, I heard you talk about uh, the transportation situation with the seniors. So, like for me, right. when, I, when I read about these things, I hear, I hear, or I read, this is a community organization for the people, you know. But you, you guys are often right. you guys are often described as mi- a militant group. Does that does that categorize does that categorization ever bother you, or do you feel like it's accurate, or do you feel like how do you feel about being called a militant? Group? Well, you know, the, the things about the programs, it's, it it saves the party because. Like I said, we were portrayed in the news media and by the government as these thugs and gangsters and stuff like that. And it's like when people would meet you through the programs, they said, wait a minute, he's just like my son and my daughter. In fact, when uh, I remember the uh, Houston Post came over in the Fourth Ward where we had an office, and they interviewed all these senior citizens, and they were like, man, these young Brothers and sisters are angels sent from heaven. You know, they look out for us, the seniors, they feed our kids. And then to me, one of the most important programs that we did was a sickle cell immune testing program. Mm. You know, uh, because sickle cell, because see, the thing about it is you cannot tell you got sickle cell just from going to the doctor and just getting a, a regular blood test. It's a whole different test that, that you have to. Yeah, I guess it's like the core, uh, you know, the virus thing. But I remember my poster, you know, uh, we had a poster of this young brother. He's probably about eight years old. That was four or six stuff for him. And his story was that the sickle cell, the red blood cells, some are curved like a sickle, and they clog up in the joints elbows, knees, and he would be complaining about pain, bad pain. His, his mama took him to a couple of doctors, and they couldn't find him. And she said she used to spank him because she said he was lying because the doctor said there wasn't nothing wrong with him. Mm. 
And then when we started probing, she took him and he got tested sick. He had sickle cell anemia. You know, I I, I remember uh, there's a high school here called Wheatley High School, and the principal he's called he's called his sons and daughters. He's let us come on campus and sell papers, and then and then some classrooms we go to speak. And uh, I remember this teacher asking me who was the first organization in the country to start testing for sickle cell. I said, the Black Panther Party. She said, but the only reason I said that is because I'm from Detroit. And she said, my, sickle, my sister has sickle cell, and she never would have known it if it wasn't for the Black Panther Party. Hmm. So, I mean, just like the, uh, uh, the Tuskegee syphilis uh, thing, the Black Panther Party exposed that whole thing in our newspaper. You know, it wasn't fake news. Mm. We put everything out there, mm. you know. So it was, uh, you know, uh, many things. Like you said, the seniors program, we call it the safe program, the seniors for uh, uh, safe, safe environment. We would go and pick up seniors and take them to cash, their social security checks, take them to, to the store, take them to medical things. Uh, so everybody knows about the breakfast program. They know in the, the free medical clinics. You know, uh, because that's why I said we were human rights organization. We wanted the civil rights organization. That's what Malcolm talked about was human rights. Mm, yeah. You know, that was the difference between him and, and uh, King, you know. And then the thing about King, too, they say they don't talk about the radical King. Yeah. Because when King started talking about the uh, military-industrial complex, when he started talking about the Vietnam War, and when he started talking about capitalism, well, he was a threat. Yeah, you know, he always had a large following. He had to go. He was a threat, you know. But they don't want to talk. They all they want to talk about is I have a dream, King. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, they don't want to talk about the radical. So, um, th- this is skinny. Uh, you just spoke on sickle cell and and uh, the COVID, the COVID nineteen, and I read that um, right. the sickle cell was mainly targeted towards the African Americans. <laughs> what? Right. Right. So, so um, do you feel like that the government tried to, like they tried to target the COVID nineteen to the African Americans as well? Like, no, I don't think so. I mean, you got to look at the conspiracies out there, but I don't think so. I think, you know, and and, and I, you know, and I hate to say this, and uh, it breaks my heart when I go to the grocery store. I see so many obese people in our community, you know, and yeah. uh, not people just fat. I mean, obese. <laughs> and uh, I think that, 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 I'm seriously. I mean, and that's part of the problem. You know, uh, it's like my neighbor that used to live upstairs. I mean, she weighed 380 pounds. Jeez. You know, and she was she was constantly going to the doctor. And I said, if you lose weight, you know, I mean, all that, you know, all my knees hurt. I, 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 <laughs> I used to tell her, I said, your knees probably hate when you get up and walk. <laughs> 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 But I mean, seriously, if you look at our, our especially in the South, fried foods, sugar. If you come to if you come to the South, if you want sweet tea, you gonna get sweet, sweet, sweet tea. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, people in the South put sugar on everything. Black people in the South, spaghetti, of course, grits. Uh, I mean, everything. You know, and salt. You know. You know, the thing about with me is like when when a person gets high blood pressure, the doctor tell you to 
cut back on salt, stop using salt. Well, why wait to get to that point? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You know, like they talk about preventative medicine. Why wait to get to that point? Because both those white things there, sugar and salt, they kill us. Mm. You know? And it's people walking around not eating just obese, but they got high blood pressure or diabetes because of all that salt and sugar. You know? Yeah. Okay. And um, pork. You know, and, and poor. <laughs> Don't let me leave that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey brother, this is Ant. Um, I want to ask you. I'm going to go back just a tad bit, really quick, um, to the organization. Uh, you guys are one of the uh-huh. most well organized, you know, organizations we've ever seen on so many different fronts. You know, um, right? Was there an organization before you guys that we don't know about? that you guys modeled this after, or was this just a result of young, brilliant minds coming together, brainstorming, and tossing out ideas? What, well, you know, the thing about it is it's just like, you know, Roy Williams, you know, uh, who picked up arms, and, and, and he had the dignity of defense to pick up arms. And, you know, you know this like the uh, uh, brothers in uh, Lyles County, you know, mm-hmm. That's, they had the Panther. In fact, Bobby Seal and Hugh P. Newton got in touch with them and asked them if they could use the Panther as a, as a symbol mm. of their, their organization. You mm. know, and so uh, like I said, same time, because you, you have to think about it too is that when Bobby Seal and Hugh P. Newton started the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, anything was going to go international. Mm. You know, it was just a community base. We're going to patrol the police. Yeah. You know, and they patrolled police with weapons and they had a, they, they carried a, a, a law book and cameras and tape recorder. And, uh, and then it went national. Uh, for one thing, when Bobby Seale and the Congress went to the uh, courthouse mm. because you know, uh, the legislators wanted to pass this uh, law called the Mumford Bill, which they did pass, saying it was against the law to carry loaded weapons in the street. Yeah. Now, now where, 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 where was the NRA then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just a bunch of black folks. And that went, man, that went, I mean, I got comrades that I've met, you know, and I was younger than I got comrades. That was one of the reasons they, they, they Join the party, yeah. You know, because of uh, because uh, because the, the first chapter was the Sacramento chapter. His mm. brother oh, named wow. Charles Bronson. He and he mm. saw that, and he came to Oakland, and he he already had his little group together. And you had L.A. and the first chapter outside of the uh, state of California was the Seattle chapter, which was founded by Aaron Dixon and his brother uh, Elmer Dixon. Mm. And then you had the incident with Hugh P. Newton. When he was accused of killing a policeman and one of the other, well, of course it went worldwide. He, he, you know, free Huey movement went worldwide. So that that took the party from just a community-based thing in Oakland to a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's people. It's just like, you know, it's like whole uh, African race. I mean, it's, it's people from. Angola and Mozambique that was fighting, and and they said they took the example from the Black Panther Party, mm. you know, 
uh, it's a group here that has a thing on Angola Little Racing Day every year. They invite me yeah. to the thing. It's a it's a big dinner and banquet and stuff. But like I said, cause they they took example from the Black Panther Party. Yeah. Stand up and you know. So uh, it became a worldwide phenomenon. But like I said, it just started as a as a local community organization. Yeah. Um. Off. Off. Um topic for for a quick minute and I, I don't want to dive too much into this but it, it was it was interesting to me um because kwanzaa is a huge holiday and i know the conflict between the black panther party and ron karinga um is that something yeah, you right, is that right. something you celebrate no i don't really now i'll go to uh kwanzaa celebration here but yeah. no, i don't celebrate i'll go just to support my just like like uh, one of my best friends, and he's over here almost every day, uh, Kobe Tahaka. He's a uh, NASA chairman of the uh, uh, NASA Black United Front. Yeah, you know, which is a Black NASA organization. And, you know, we talk for, but I go to support or my other one of my my, my good friends and colleagues, uh, uh, I do Helene, who's the uh, minister of the mosque here in uh, in Houston. And uh, so I go to support them, but no, I don't, I don't, you know, because for one thing, uh, it's not just a beat, but, but Ron Kling and, and his organization killed four party members. Yeah, I mean, yeah. everybody knows about uh, uh, Princess Bunchy Carter and John Huggins in L.A., but they also killed two members of the party in San Diego, mm. you know. Mm. So, I mean, that's blood. I mean, uh and uh, so no, I don't celebrate Kwanzaa. Okay. You know, like I show up, I show up just to because I'm known in the community here, and then a lot of people I show up just to you know. Yeah. Support. Support them, but I don't. I don't celebrate Kwanzaa. Okay. Um, for those, because um, we are real connected to the the youth in in our community, and for uh-huh. those who, um, this sparks their interest on a major level um the 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 panthers that you know we've come to know the elders cleavers the fred hamptons huey p newtons bobby seals um which ones what panther members did you work with that were very prominent in what we've come to know mm-hmm. are the leaders that should be highlighted well i used to be obviously late and when i said that mm. He called it Abe, but I was his bodyguard. I stayed in the same house with him. And we, we were together all day, you know, traveling. Anytime he went somewhere outside the city, you know, as far as, uh, I remember we went to D.C. for this, uh, it was a meeting on the uh, census. Yeah. Because, you know, all the black organizations say it was an undercount. And, uh, you know, I traveled there, you know, traveled. Anytime he went out of town, I, you know, I, I traveled with him. And, and I worked real close with Lee Lane, and I knew Huey. You know, I drove Huey a few times, but I, I had contact with him quite, quite a few times. You know, Huey was very, uh, very, he was a genius. He was, you know, he, uh, he, uh, he, he well, all of them were sharp. Yes. Hmm. You know, like, you know, Lane. And see, the thing about it is, like, uh, Huey and, and Bobby. Bobby was more so 
somebody who spoke at rallies or stuff like that, because he could break it down where people understood it. Because that's the whole thing, you know. It's like I was at a meeting here uh, a while back with these young brothers, and they they all philosophizing and all this stuff. And like I told them, <laughs> you know, y'all all smart, but you can't take that people to the people. You got to bring it down to the people's level. Yep. Mm. Where they understand. And that's what Bobby could do. You know, he'd break it down to where a person like Huey was at a whole another level when because he was the theoretician. I mean, so, you know, he might talk to people like, what the hell is that nigga saying? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, and then Lane, I worked with Lane a little close. You know, I, I hadn't seen Elaine Brown since probably 1978, and she came to Houston maybe about four years ago mm. to speak. Mm. And, uh, in fact, she came in to Vegas. We had a function in Vegas. But anyway, so I hadn't seen her since 1978, so when I walked up to her, and she was like, oh, a bunch of She said, man, we went to hell and back together. I said, yeah, yeah, we did. Because mm. uh, that's the thing about it. People want to fantasize about the Florida and you know, do kind of other stuff, but it was it was real. I mean, it was, I mean, we lost 32 comrades. Wow. I mean, dead. Mm. But, you know, we still got people in prison right now, like when we, when we Yep. Uh, 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 so, you know, it, it was real. There wasn't no, I mean, you had to be dedicated. You had to be serious. I mean, it's a lot of people, I call them in and outers. You know, they joined the party, they went then once they saw it was hard work, or that you going to be harassed by the police every day, they wasn't around no more, you know. And uh, so, yeah, it was it was serious. It wasn't no fantasy. It wasn't no, you know. Uh, it was it was serious. It was hard work because I mean, just like that central branch program, you had to work up four thirty in the morning, go prepare the meals for the kids. Then you had to clean up. Then you had to go out in the field. And when I say out in the field, you had to go take 100 papers out there and sell them. Because everybody that sold papers, we got a brown paper grocery bag filled with 100 papers. Mm. So you go out and sell them. Or you went out and collected donations. Or you, everybody had what we call that the beer. Everybody had a function, you know. And then when you came home, I mean, uh, you know, we we studied. Every, you had to come home. You read from the Pantheon or you know, uh, uh, you know Malcolm or uh, Kwame Nkrumah. Or, you know, it wasn't. You know, and then in every facility, every facility that went for we didn't have the office. Whatever facility we had, it was somebody always awake. 24 hours of the day, seven days of a week. So everybody took shifts. So you don't work hard all day, and you take a three-hour shift, and you go tap your car, and hey, man, it's your turn, and they had to get up and take a three-hour shift. So it wasn't no play thing. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, I had a question about the um, about the, the, the incident specifically and the effects afterwards. So um, I was reading that. Uh, Duncan Tell, I don't want to, I don't want to slander his first name, but Duncan Tell uh, basically told the mm-hmm. Houston police to, you know, stay away from the from the party headquarters, and 
from what I can from what I can understand of it, the police took it as kind of like you know you got we, we we're the police and we can go where we want to go, and that kind of to me seemed like it led to the incident where the brother Hampton was assassinated. Um, my question to you is now was she done? See, with Duncan, okay, okay, go ahead, finish your question. Okay, well, my, my question was, you know, without Duncan Tell saying what he said to the police, do you feel like maybe this confrontation could have been avoided, or was this inevitable at some point because of? Now, well, see, see, Duncan Tell really wasn't, uh, <laughs> and Duncan was good brother, uh, but <laughs> no, that wasn't going to be avoided. And see, what Duncan Tell said. And, uh, you know, part of him was kind of upset because he, he made uh, a statement that um, for every black person was killed, that they was going to kill 10 police, you know. Mm. And we were like, and we were like, shit, they ain't going to come after you. They going to come after us. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, he just talking, you know. So the situation we call, uh, what had happened was that... Uh, his brother selling papers, the family papers, because he, he was part of too. See, Carl, let me tell you about Carl first. Carl Hampton, uh, he was a musician. And so he was with this band. They traveled the country. So when they got to Oakland, that's when he came in contact with the Black Panther Forum. Mm. And so the whole, so the time that they were there, he did community work uh, with the party. And so when he got ready to leave to come back to Houston, he had asked him, could he start a chapter of the Black Panther Party in Houston? <laughs> and he was told no, because at that time, the party had expanded so fast that they wasn't opening any more chapters. Mm, okay. You know, because they had to figure out who everybody was and everything. So Carl came back to Houston. He got a job at uh, Sears. And back, that, back during that time, Sears had lunch counters and stuff. So he got a job washing dishes at Sears. And raised enough money to get an office, and he started Peter's Party too. Hmm. And the reason he called it Peter's Party too because he said the Black Panther Party was the Vanguard Party, and that was the number one party. So Peter's Party too followed the ten point platform of the Black Panther Party rules and regulations, and sold the Black Panther Party newspaper. Hmm. So it was a brother selling newspaper in front of the office, which was on the street called Dollar at that time. They changed the name to Emancipation. But, uh, and Carl pulls up, and the police was talking to this brother in Southern Paper. And he had a 45 strap to his chest. And so he went over and asked the police what was going on, what was the problem. And the police said, Well, what are you doing with that uh, gun on your chest? You know, and Carl told him that wasn't none of their business, that he had the right under the law to openly carry a weapon. And so police start walking toward him. He told them they need to stay back. So the police went for their gun. Carl went for his gun, and he outdrew him. So Carl stayed back up there. So they called, of course, called backup. But by the time they called backup, people in the community and heard what was going on. They came out and stood in front of the office and said, y'all ain't going to mess with these brothers. Mm -hmm. So for a week, it was almost like what's going on in Seattle right now. From uh, uh, three block area for a week, there's no police. People came from and now. This when Duncan Tell came down. Duncan Tell was from Sunnyside. He came down with his little people. Everybody came down with guns from Sunnyside, Pleasantville, North Side, South Side. 
Mm. And uh, so there wasn't no police in that whole area for the you know whole week. And so on uh, July 26, this is uh, 1970, uh, uh, Congress was holding a rally at Emancipation Park, which is right across the street from the office. And these two women came and told Carl there was some white men up on the roof of St. John's Church, which is uh, maybe a block away. It's the tallest building in Third Ward. Mm. So Carl and this white guy, uh, Barty Hill, he's from the John uh, uh, John Brown Association organization, whatever. They walked down to see what's going on. So it was three police on the roof. It was three snipers, and it was another guy. It was a reporter. He was the spotter. He had he had interviewed Carl three days before, so he was the one who was going to show him who which one was Carl. So when Carl and they walked down the street, they was crossing. So when they came across the street, police opened fire. And uh, Barty Hill got shot in the shoulder. They shot Carl. And this this, this sister, brave sister, because she wasn't a part of the organization, wasn't part of the struggling. She drove up in her Volkswagen and put Carl in the Volkswagen and drove him to the hospital mm. where he died later. Uh so that's how it happened. Duncan Taylor didn't have anything to do with starting, you know, the whole thing. But yeah, that, but that's what happened. Mm, okay. Mm, okay. Do you, do you feel like the parties, the People's Party too, the movement died a little bit once Brother Hampton was assassinated? Like, or how did how did it go? How did how did things proceed going forward after that? Oh no, it got stronger. I mean, um, my comrade James Van, he became the chairman. And uh, we proceeded, and we, in fact, we moved into a new building in the middle of the street. We still had the first building was on the corner, and that was going to be, i tell you, uh, Congressman Nicky Leland was a huge supporter of People's Party, too. And him and Carl were good friends. In fact, in fact, the night Carl got killed, he came down to see what happened, and he got arrested. And... Uh, you know, he graduated from Texas Southern University in pharmacy, so the original headquarters was going to be turned into a free health clinic. Uh, we moved down about three floors down to a, to a two-story house, and that became the headquarters, mm. new headquarters people are too. And the clinic never got off the ground because the police came by and shot the building up. Jeez. And then the health department said it wasn't fit to be, you know, a clinic. Hmm. But, uh, but yeah, we had a lot of support, you know. I mean, uh, a lot of support. So, go, moving forward, at any point, did you feel like, uh, not not internally? Um, I think uh, the struggle never goes away. The feeling to want to fight never goes away. Um, but internally, did you ever get to a point where it was almost you felt like the organization was fighting a losing battle? Because I know, you know, with COINTELPRO and the police, um, kind of like yeah, infiltrating yeah, the program, yeah. how, how did you guys hold things steady? 
Yeah, you know what? You know the thing thing about it is, I remember uh, if y'all get a chance and, and you can uh, you can get a digitally ordered. There's a book called On the Ground: The Black Panther Party of Communities Across America, and it's uh, it was put together by uh, Professor Jeffries. He's out of college in Ohio. The first chapter is on. Not, not, not the chapter, the first part of the book is on Peace Party 2 in the Houston chapter, Black Panther Party. But that said, uh, you know, just, just to constantly harass me, I mean, just like when, when my first year when I joined the party, cause I, see, I first started doing community work in Los Angeles. Uh, um, and this is one thing that, that made me join the party was uh, I had. I was I, a freshman in college, and my friends asked me if uh, I uh, would like to go to a political education class at the Black Panther office. Yeah. I mm-hmm. said, yes. Yeah. So I went, and uh, it was very educational, and it was, it was really humbling because afterwards they asked us who we like to eat. They was going to eat dinner, and I was like, well, first we refused, but we were like, man, these brothers are struggling, and they. Brothers and sisters struggling, I know, and they insisted, you know, for me. So I started going on weekends with uh, a Black Panther Party member named James Palms, and we'd go downtown Los Angeles and sell the paper. And uh, to show you, you just mentioned Quarantine Pro, the scrutiny that was on the Black Panther Party, I'm. Uh, 18 year old student in college, and my mother comes in my bedroom. And she says, There's two gentlemen from the FBI in the living room, they want to talk to you. Oh, wow. And I'm like, Mama, stop playing. I'm like, Mama, stop playing with me. <laughs> she, said, no, she, said, she said, No, I'm serious. You know, so I go up there, sure enough, and they flash their badges, like, you know, and uh, so they had this big, thick book, and so they asked me if I remember the Black Panther Party. I told them no. And uh, so, like I said, they had this big, thick book. They opened it up and they had all these pictures. Where do you know this person? You know that person's alive. It's a pie. And so, we uh, really made me proud of my mother. She stopped him at one point. And she said, We all asking all these questions. She said, I got a question for y'all. She said, Jago Hoover says it's a Black Panther Party is the greatest threat to the security of the United States and the history of the United States. And so she said, well, what about the mafia? Mm. And uh, so they said, mm. uh, so they started playing the salt and pepper, you know. So one of them said, well, you know, the Panthers, they do a lot of good things. They got a breakfast program when they free help clinics and stuff. And I'm say, yeah, when they start talking about that violence, see, that's not a thing. But the thing that got me is when they were leaving, we that's what pushed me over the edge. When they were leaving, they said, John, you know, you stay in school. When you graduate from school, you get you a good job. You'll never hear from us again. And I'm like, God damn, these motherfuckers try to tell me how to live my life. Mm-hmm. If I walk the straight and narrow path, and you know what I'm saying? And that pushed me over the edge, mm-hmm. you know. And... uh So, yeah, so the threats, it's always 
and the reason I mentioned that, that book with Dr. Jones uh, is the one who put together this thing apart, and he asked me why I stayed. So I remember the party for 10 years. And like I told him, hey, we were there, war. You know, I went on and banned him a comments, you know, because of harassment. I mean, the first year I joined the party right here in Houston, I went to jail 13 times. I talked about this petty yeah, stuff. But they, what, they, what they would do, they would pull us over for bogus traffic stuff, and then they wouldn't let you sign the ticket until they got you in jail. Then, then once you're in jail, they let you sign the ticket, but you had to pay to get out. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, it was a, a drain on our funds. Plus, it was uh, trying to mentally break you down. And uh, so, you know, and, and many clowns, like I say, went through much worse. You know, like I said, many clowns are still in prison right now, you know. Wow. Um, so, how did you make your way to Las Vegas? I'll say that again. How did you... Um, Cause you you mo- you moved to L.A. right from from Houston yeah, you moved that, to L.A. Uh, yeah right yeah I was born here. we moved to L.A. when I was nine years old. And at what point did you and, when uh, did you move back to Houston? Uh, well, I came back to Houston. Like I said, I was already I was a freshman in college and I graduated from high school in '70. And uh, so my my grandmother got severely ill and uh so I came back here that summer of seventy one and uh she eventually passed and so while I was here I said let me see if I can find the chapter of the background party. So I was driving down Dowling and I saw the signs said Peter's Party Two and they had Panthers on both sides of the sign, you know. So I stopped and went in and talked with the brothers and we got, you know, sisters. And uh this is this is what that's when I joined. Uh I left college after my freshman year. So in fact I went back I went back to uh <laughs> I went back to get my uh student loan money. <laughs> Fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> I heard and that, I, brother. And I, and, I, and I bought two shotguns and three M1 carbines. Yeah. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> it came. It came back to Houston. So, how how did you make your way to Las Vegas? Well, uh, one thing, my dad. Uh, like I said, my dad moved to Las Vegas in 1968. So. What would have happened in the party, you know, I had many punks. Like I said, I was Bobby Seals' age. I used to be head of photography for the newspaper. And uh, one of the things I used to do is uh, every weekend, I'd take a group of comrades to L.A. or Las Vegas to collect donations. Hmm. And uh, so uh, in 1977, we were ready to go hit, go back and expand. Darren uh, Perkins went to East St. Louis, and I came down to Vegas and uh, started chapter there in '77. In in nineteen in nineteen seventy seven, you also said that um, Las Vegas is an example of what's wrong in America. Can you um, explain what you meant by that? Well, you know, you know, Vegas is the 
entertaining capital of the world. I don't care what anybody says, you know. And uh, the, the thing about uh, capitalism is, you know, it's all about money and about keeping you entertained mm. to keep you uh, dumbed down to, you know, what's going on. Just like I was talking to somebody uh, yesterday at the West Labor Man. It's like people watch, uh, what's that show about, uh, damn, about this fat white girl and country people. Anyway, <laughs> anything, anything. I think you might know the show I'm talking about. But, but people watch that, that stuff, you know. They keep yeah. you dumb down. And, uh, you know, or like the hip-hop kids of uh, Atlanta, you know. Yeah, rap gang. Yeah. Rap gang, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, they keep you. So Vegas is, you know, is uh one thing is all about money and it's all about entertainment. That's what they try to keep you entertained. Or, you know, uh just like like with the things going on now, I mean, twenty straight times, you know, I've never seen anything like it. But I told people in fact I guy I mentioned earlier, Kofi, I told him when everything started, I said they're gonna do just like it did after the watch riots. Because what they did, they, they, they the, the, the capitalists, they just throw money at the problem, you know, a band-aid. Yeah. And uh, so during the, after the watch riots, one thing white folks was like, what the hell? We thought niggas was happy and shit. You know what I mean? What the hell's going on? And, and so they started throwing money at it. And, uh, uh, you know, he started these economic development programs, and they started this college program, and that's what they're doing now. But see, the money's going to go to people like the NAACP, the Urban League, people that's not on the ground in the community every day working, like mm -hmm. they stretch or, or other organizations, you know what I'm saying? And so it's not going to work unless they come into the community and investigate well, who's out here year-round doing stuff in the community with little money. Let's help them out, and they can do more, you know. Uh, but just like I saw, you know, shoot, Digiland gave the NAACP uh, $2 million, and all can they give them, you know, or they're going to Black Lives And us Black Lives Matter is supposed not to be an organization. It's supposed not to have no, you know what I'm saying? So who are you going to give the money to, right. you know? So and, uh, what you saying? What you saying that about the uh, NAACP? Um, well, the thing, you know, thing, thing about it, you know, I told <laughs> some people because they were well, the NAACP been around a long time. They're new No, this is not your daddy and your granddaddy's NAACP. Mm. Okay, this is not W. D. Boyce's NAACP. This is not uh, Thurgood Marshall's NAACP. Mm. You know, or Roy, even Roy Wilkins' NAACP. Now, you want to find the NAACP, you know where you go? You go to one of these banquets or one of these nice hotels mm. or, or, or look at the, mm. the NAACP awards show on. You ain't going to find them in the community, mm. you know. You know, I bet if you, I bet if you went, went over there on the west side, I'm, now I'm talking about the real west side. I ain't talking about, you know what I mean? That's where we at right and, now. And, yeah, right and, now. And, and, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and ask them who, who is the NAACP, majority of people would say, I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Cause they're not in the community doing anything, you know what I mean? Now, they accept scholarships. Now, yeah, we need scholarships. The kids, but goddamn, half them people—not even half, a majority of them—they got money. 
<laughs> just why don't you just give somebody right. some money to go to school? You know what I mean? Right, why don't so, you do something in the community where it's needed, the people that need it? So they they taking the money, but yeah. they're not putting the money back into the community. Is what you basically saying? Right. You know, they had these banquets. They charge a hundred dollars a seat or whatever. You know what I mean? Jeez. And, you know, we set we set up a we set up a scholarship for this for this and. If that's all fine, good. Like I said, we need educated, we need to educate people, but then had the ones getting scholarships was they kids. <laughs> mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Roll, shaking at the table. <laughs> um, so coming here, coming to Las Vegas and starting a chapter, uh, what were the race relations back then in the sixties and seventies? Oh man, it's horrible. You know, we 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 used to say I got put on on stretch pace. <laughs> Shout that, out to my brother Stretch. That that the uh, three M's ran in Las Vegas. The uh, Mormons, oh. the mm. Metro Police, and mm. the Mafia. Yeah. Mm. You know that's who ran in Las Vegas. And see them and then back then I don't know if it. Uh, what's the name of these brothers? These are these brothers. In fact, one of them owned these, uh, it was a store like Kmart, but it wasn't Kmart. One of them ran a business that sold uh, the bar setups to clubs and stuff. And one of them was uh, the sheriff. I can't remember their names. But, yeah, yeah, it was, it was straight up racist. And they were Mormons. And mm. so here it is, like, if you come to Vegas, if you wanted to work, well, you had to go through the sheriff to get a work permit. Mm-hmm. Same way today. And, and and then they had a thing where the one that sold stuff to the bars was like, well, you got to go get a permit from the sheriff, so who you going to, you know what I'm saying? Who you going to hire to put the stuff in? Mm. That, you know, that's guaranteed. You hire his brother, you know? And that was going on back then, mm. you know. And uh, it was very, very. I mean, I mean, just like you know, in the sixties, you couldn't go on the strip for entertainment. You can go out there if you're a porter or a waiter or you know something like that. Yeah. It wasn't to Ruby Duncan and her World for Rights organization marched on the strip. Very courageous woman marched on the strip and that's when things changed. Because I remember my dad first moved in 68 over the west side was striker. You had casinos, you know. Yeah. You had the cold and, you know, you had casinos on the west side. And somebody burned up the Moulin Rouge after a while and fired with the mafia. But, uh, mm. Mm. you know, everything was happening on, on, on the west side for blacks. Even... Even, you know, entertainers that perform on the strip, they couldn't stay on the strip. Right. Facts. You know, Sammy Davis, Red Fox, all of them, they couldn't stay on the strip. Facts. So they came to the West you know, now. Like, like that movie, uh, Dork and Dangerous movie, you know, where they had her in a bungalow way in the back, and they told her don't get in the swimming pool. Yeah. And she jumped in the swimming pool, and they drained the whole pool. You know what I mean? She wow. poured to the dead pool. Got the black ass. <laughs> they drained the whole pool. Wow. 
you know. So, yeah, it was very, very racist. It's cowboy country. People think about Texas is cowboy. It's like when I first moved to L.A. You know, everybody asked me, well, did you have a horse? <laughs> you know, wow. they think, you know, everything is, you know. But, but Nevada is very cowboy, very, you know. Mm. I mean, things are changing, you know, uh, just like they changed in Texas. Texas is, you know, I say considered a red state, but if you look at it, all your all your major cities are run by Democrats. But see, but it's, it's the rural areas, there's some country folks, you know, it's just like you drive out in the country, you see the Confederate flags and all yeah. that, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So. Do you do you? But yeah, Vegas. Vegas was very, 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 very racist. I, I, I tell you, I, I remember getting arrested when I was a part of that. And I'm in the car, and these two white cops, and so they drive me, uh, I think down Washington or Bonanza, one of them. But anyway, and they talking about how bad we live, yeah. and they like, look at them. See how they live. Ain't, look at they trash. They, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. And I'm in the back talking shit to them. <laughs> <laughs> Do you um speaking yeah. of like uh in you know in Texas and in other places right now they're like knocking down like Confederate uh, statues and um All right you can't the Confederate flag I think NASCAR but you know kind of like who cares right. but you know. NASCAR, right. you can't use the Confederate flag no more. How do you how do you feel about that? Um, oh, it's it's, it's it's way overdue. I mean, look look if you go to Germany, you can't display no Nazi stuff. Yeah. You know, you go to jail. It's a crime mm. to display any 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 of 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 the Nazis. That's yeah. a crime. Mm. And then here, these were. Traitors, they were treasonous, and see the thing about it, most of them statues wasn't put up. They weren't put up right after the war. They were put up in the early 20th century. You know, mm. and yeah, they need to come down because the thing about it, no, they tell me what you're trying to watch it. No, no, history needs to be taught. Yeah, you know, but we don't need to have no symbols. I mean, you put up a statue to praise somebody. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, so. We don't need no sets of like that. They need to come now. Yeah, I, I guess. You know, still coming. And it, then, what, I don't know if it's still Mississippi or one of them, they still got the, at the corner of a flag. They still got the Confederate flag up there. What kind of shit is that? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess my position was, um, you know, I like to know where I am and where I'm not welcome. I don't know. I don't know where right. these. I don't know where these statues were in terms of uh, where they were within the state or the city. Like if they were in downtown or somewhere, but I would like to know. Oh yeah, just like here, we're just like here. Uh, the mayor here just ordered. It was one in the, in the big park here. It was Herman Paul. It's one of them. He he, had, he has a couple of them. But a lot of people upset because he's gonna still have them displayed. One of them's going to the African American Museum, and mm. another one's going out to some small town somewhere. Mm. And. Uh, uh, but you know, you know, saying about like I said, you don't need to glorify. I mean, yeah, we need to know our history. You don't wipe yeah. out history. You said, you hold know? on, if, if, am I mistaken? Are you saying a Confederate statue is going into the African American Confederate statue? But one of them, see, one of them, I'm gonna tell you about Dick Darling. Like I tell you, Mass Spaces Street. 
when Carl was uh, assassinated, she was called Dowling. Captain Dick Dowling was a Confederate soldier. So, mm. so Emancipation Park, it's a, it's a section with, with Fort Warden, but it was called Freedmanstown. And so it wasn't a park for blacks and were Houston. And so the residents of Freedmanstown got together and they bought like 40 acres. Mm. And, they, and they created a park. They called it Emancipation Park. Mm-hmm. So in the white folks, the street grown by Emancipation Park, they named it Dowling Street, which is for a Confederate captain. It just got changed two years ago to Emancipation. Mm-hmm. And but but his statues, they had a statue of him in one of the parks, so they taken that down. And I didn't know this. They said the reason like like Juneteenth, that the reason that one of the reasons that that, that, that blacks here didn't know about the Emancipation Proclamation was because of Dick Dowling. Mm. Because the the unions, it was in the paper today. I, I, I didn't even know this. The unions sent these troops here, and they come up to Sabine River. And Dick Dowling and his little band of, you know, Confederacy uh, over, but they had these, these cannons, and they pushed them back so because they were coming up to let people know that hey y'all free you know so that's why it got pushed back two years i mean it's two years after emancipation that you know yeah uh the federal troops finally got here and you know so so what would be what is the reason a confederate statue will be put into an african-american museum well, they had this, this brother on, on there. He's he's the head of the museum, and he's talking about it so we can tell the history and stuff. But I don't buy it myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, everybody got their own opinion about stuff, but it needs to be put in a in a dark corner in the basement somewhere. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So with with you, um, with you living through so many uh, assassinations by police or assassinations by government, I'd say, um, right. to now where we are seeing these assassinations on social media, on people's phones. They're out in the open. Now you can just Google a name. Right. You can Google a name and watch and, and watch someone get murdered. Um, right, right. What is what is your your thoughts on that? Is it just is this the is this the new norm? Is this the new norm? Will we be, will we be seeing this time and time again, or at some point will you see it cease to exist? Well, you know, the thing about it is because right now it just seems like it's evolving. Yeah, and and, and it's just showing what's been going on for years. I mean, it, it's just like. Let's say back in back like my, my friend Cole I mentioned him a few. I remember before the elections back then he asked me what what time did it remind me of. I told him it reminded me of the late sixties. Mm. You know, with Nixon and uh, and the whole and the party and the whole thing. And and I tell you the truth, in a way I wanted Trump to win because I knew he was gonna expose the whole system. Because the thing about him, he don't hold his tongue. That's this is true. You know, 
you know, he done, he done, he done, he done, he done got them taken out their hoods and, you know, marching with torches and, you know, so I knew he was going to expose the whole system. And, uh, uh, the, the thing about it, like I said, with these cameras, I, I, but one of the points I wanted to make, like back in the sixties or back with, with all kinds of stuff, that you know, blacks had been complaining about police brutality for years, but it wasn't until them hippies start protesting, they start beating their ass, and all of a sudden it was police brutality, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, you know, or just like with the drug issues, you know, as long as in the, just like the Godfather, you know, the Godfather, said, well, okay, we can go ahead and do drugs as long as you keep in the donkey community, you know what I mean? So as long as in our community. It's fine, but you know, when uh, right. white folks, then all of a sudden we got a drug problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, the system. I mean, we all know it's a double standard system. The whole justice system double standard. I mean, just like the the sentencing. You know, there's so many cases that you got to. You know, a white boy gets probation, and a black person gets ten years. You know. Yeah. For the same crime, yeah. so uh, I mean, this is spoken. Now, then I think one thing that the uh, pandemic, the, uh, the Corona, one thing it exposed capitalism for what it is because it, it laid everything open. I mean, it's just like it exposed the healthcare system and it exposed the system where people are living. You got people living month to month, yeah, and they ain't got no job, and and then they getting you know. It wasn't for understanding where you can't evict nobody, but they can't pay the rent. They can't buy no food. People in long lines. I mean, people that never thought they would have to do it in long lines with the cars to get a box of food to last them two or three days. You know what I mean? Yeah. So expose, expose, expose the whole thing. Or just like what Governor Cuomo said early on. He said we used to get masks for seventy-five cents. Now they want seven dollars. Mm-hmm. That's capitalism at its finest. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Make that book. No matter. I thought we all. We, I thought we all did this together. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. We all supposed to sacrifice, but no. The ones that always have to sacrifice is the working man, the poor man. You know, one of the things that, you know uh, that I always think about is when, even before the pandemic, I'm just talking when normal economics. Uh, I mean, with economy going good, whatever, and 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 the companies say, well, and, you know, sales are slow. We're gonna lay off a thousand workers. Well, how come that billionaire don't say, well, wait a minute, don't lay them people off. Here, here's a hundred million dollars. Mm. You know what I mean? To keep them people working. No, they don't want sacrifice. There's always got to be the person at the bottom. Yeah. yeah. Rich get richer, you know? the poor get poor. Yeah. I mean, just just like a billion dollars. That's a, that's a thousand million dollars. A thousand million dollars. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I appreciate you problem. breaking that down in skinny terms. Yeah, that's a thousand million dollars. And to, people don't comment, they just say, oh, he's a billionaire. Okay, well, what is a billion? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then you got people got, you got people got a hundred billion. You know what I'm saying? That's a problem. I, I'm going to tell you about this little quick story right there. Here, me and Eric Hogan, uh, when I was, uh, in charge of photography for the pamphlet paper, we were in Oakland, 
and uh, somebody came by and told us that it was a guy living in a car in San Francisco. Yeah. And so, so me and Erica, we went over there and we looked on him and we found him. Sure enough, it was a black guy living in a Volkswagen. Uh, he probably was in his forties, living in a Volkswagen. We were shocked. Yeah. And now you got thousands on the streets. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. We were shocked. Yeah. This one person was living in the car. Wow. Yeah. Because the gap between the rich and poor, you know, it grows every year. You know. Yeah. They pay lift service to it, but come on now. Yeah. So well, so do you do you feel like uh, at this point that uh, status is um, more, I want to, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but is status more important than race at this point in time? Like, is it, is it still black and white, or is it more so about? Uh, yeah, it's about class. Status. Class, yes. It's about class. I mean, we were, I mean, I mean, that's what we talked about. That's our struggle. With, you know, it's about class. I mean, uh, you know, you got to, it's like the one percent. You know, I was reading all the. <laughs> And and it was like uh, the one percent, one percent, right now has thirty six trillion dollars, mm. and that the whole other ninety percent has thirty seven trillion. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm. Wow. So that's right. You know, I mean, think about it: thirty six trillion, thirty seven trillion, for the one percent. So they almost have an equal amount. I mean, they just a trillion behind. You know, yeah. a trillion is like we just talked about a billion. You know, so you know that's why our whole thing was just a class struggle. Yeah. You know, and like I said, that's what that's what the pandemic showed. That's what I mean. It's a class struggle because I mean, I mean, yeah, you got white privilege. A lot of lot of. People that got privilege, they admit it, but they, they may not, they're not going to know what they're going to do about it. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, you know, it's, it's like one of my customer's sons, <laughs> he's a grown man now, even as a kid, he hated, and he's a white boy, <laughs> parents got a little money. He hated poor white friends. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he said, he was, he said, because if you white, you should be able to make it. You know what I mean? And this was a kid. That's when he was in high school. Yeah. And he told me, man, I hate poor white trash because, you know, if you white, you know, then black people got, I mean, we got to jump through hoops, hurdles, all kinds of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So so given, given all the knowledge you've attained, everything that you've lived through, here and now, what can we do as a community to strengthen it? Well, for one thing, I mean, what's going on right now? I mean, I, I'm not, I got a smile on my face when I just think about these youngsters out in the street. Yeah, yeah. You know, now how long will it go? But it, it's it's going to change. Because like I said, it's, it's a protracted struggle. I'm not, people get frustrated. I mean, but we got to use every tool we got. I mean, uh, I mean, we got to vote. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's, that's one part of it. And, it. and it's, I mean, that's why, I mean, that's it. Well, they've always tried to 
limit the black vote, you know. I mean, you know, back in the day, I remember my grandma used to take me with her to vote when I was, shoot, five, six years old. Yeah. But I remember back then, they had to take a test, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or places had a polling tax, knowing that wow. a lot of people couldn't afford that, you know. So it's always been trying to restrict the black vote. But that's just one element. But we got to stay in the streets. And, you know, and I hate to say it, but, you know, it's going to take some violence. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to take some uh, people, uh, as you call it, uh, revolutionary suicide, mm. you know, or, or making a supreme sacrifice. Yeah. Because that's one of the only things they understand. Just like I said, just like with the Watch Riots, I, I was talking about how they was shot. Oh, what the fuck? You know, we, we thought the niggas was happy. And, you know what I mean? It's just like Ferguson or any other thing that happened. You know, Brother Brown was just a spark. Mm -hmm. You know, all that stuff was underlying. It's under there. Yeah. And then when they had they investigated and they and they showed how the police department in Ferguson had been targeting black people for revenue. You know what I mean? Tickets and yeah. stuff like that. You know. So so uh, as a as an elder, you say, you know, you're proud of the youth and what they're able to do right now. Um, a lot of elders do not feel that way, at least the ones I, I've come across, um, especially right. in the movement. And it's always been a rocky relationship between um, our elders uh, and the youth on both sides. Um, uh -huh. is, there any, is there any way you see this situation, the climate that we in, uh, being able to mend that or bring us closer together? Well, you know, you're always going to have, especially in our community, and, and then you got some people they call it subconscious, and uh, I don't know conscious or what, I don't know, but uh, uh it don't matter. I mean, the, the, the youth are shaking these people up, just like the Black Panther Party did. I mean, think about the party. I mean, we, you know, we lasted what 16 years, but they brought everything they had against. They went all the way to the top, you know. And even back then, you had a lot of the elders from the conservative, even with the sickle cell program. I remember NWACT and the man, why are you testing? There's no cure. It's not. But the thing was. We could let a person know why they're in pain. Plus, we could tell you, hey, it, your husband got sickle cell, and you don't, what percentage of chance that your kid might become a carrier or have sickle cell? Mm -hmm. Or if you were a carrier, and anyway, but, you know, they came out against it, then, then a year later, they set up sickle cell foundations. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? to raise money for six cell research, which yeah. is a bunch of, you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, so the thing about it, you can't worry about what people believe you have to, because the thing about the party, we didn't just talk to talk, we walked away. Absolutely. You know what I mean? We didn't just say, well, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. No, we did it. And we were young. I mean, I joined the back when I was 19. It's little Bobby Hutton. Who was murdered in Oakland at the age yeah. of 17, joined the party at 15 years old. Oh. And see, the thing about, about, about Huey and Bob, they had to respect 
he wanted to join the party, they went to his parents and asked him. And they said, yeah, he can join, mm. you know? So we were young, you know? And that was another thing. People was like, well, these young folks could do this crap. I shouldn't say crap. <laughs> they could do this. How come the government can't do it? Mm. You know? But these young people could do this. They could feed kids. They can open up medical clinics. They can test for sickle cell. How come the government can't do it? Mm. You know? Yeah, I, so I, uh, the youth. No, go ahead. It, they, the youth. I mean, they don't. They don't. They. The thing is, they shouldn't care whatever uh, elders or against what they're doing or whatever. They got to do their thing, man, mm-hmm. and they're tired. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing about it is, and I tell everybody, these they fearless, man. Yep. They're fearless. I mean, you know, they surround the police cars with police in them and busting out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> with them in the damn car. They got, they, they got, they got police abandoning their police stations. Facts. You know, this is the second one of what's going on in Seattle right now. You know, they feel this, man, and they're tired. They're mm. tired. Mm. You know? So, yeah, I'm proud of them. I smile every time I think about that. You know, because I mean, because that's what we were. We were fearless. You know, I remember. I remember the the police chief and the mayor here in Houston called a press conference, and in that press conference, the mayor said that within a year, all members of the Black Panther Party and the People's Party too will be dead, in jail, or cease being revolutionaries. And we laughed. <laughs> this was like, you know what I'm saying? You know, because we were fearless. Yeah. You think that made us shirk and go away? No. Mm. He just pissed us off. You know. Mm. Um, I just I don't I want to confirm something with you just for the sake of uh you know our our listeners to be able to go back and reference because you guys you gave us a lot of uh, names and uh, a lot of uh, things for us to go back and research. Um, I want to confirm right. the sheriff's name in Las Vegas at the time. Uh, are you talking about Ralph Lamb? <laughs> And the his Lamb. brother, Floyd the Lamb. The Lamb brothers. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, I just want our, our yeah. listeners to be able to go back to see, and research see, one of them on, one of them on these, uh, I don't know if they were grocery store, but I think it was mm-hmm. more than a grocery store. Yeah. One of them on the store, uh, and then one of them, it was, a Lamb, it was three of them. It was the Lamb brothers, right. Yeah. Thank you for, yeah. I, yeah, the Lamb brothers. Yeah. Because I remember yeah, watching the, the movie uh, Casino, and it actually... Uh, had a scene where it pretty much showed what you were t- what you were saying uh, uh, in that scene as far as how you had to go through the sheriff. You had to get the sheriff's approval for everything back then. Right. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 You couldn't work in Las Vegas unless you had a work permit. Yeah. It's almost like a par- it's almost like a part time after. That's what I thought about it back then. I said, damn, because mm. you know that, that's where it wasn't part time after. You yeah. had to get a permit to work. You know. Yeah. What I'm saying? Mm. All right. Um. Uh, again, man, we really, um, really, really appreciate you. But I, I have one question, because you've lived, uh-huh. a, you lived a lot. You've lived a lot. You've done a lot for our community, um, the black community as a whole. Um, what is your legacy, and what would you want your legacy, uh, what would you want included in that? Well, my legacy is just, uh, 
I'm a servant of the people, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'm, I, you know, I still am. I mean, that's what, you know, just like uh, all power of the people was a flow of her around the world, but what we lived about, we said serving the people, body and soul. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's that's what I am. I mean, yeah. it's just like people, it's just like I have Congress here, and they say, well, yeah, this is our district chair. No, I'm not a district chair, I'm just a servant of the people. Yeah. I'm not chairman of nothing. Cause we, I mean, because we have a lot of association. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. You know, because I didn't join the party for no glory or no, you know, I joined to serve the people. Yeah. You know, and so uh, that's what, you know, I like to really remember this. Uh, you know, uh, somebody that through their whole life and, you know, uh, yeah, it's comrades that, and that's the thing about the party. I mean, just like Bobby Russ is a congressman. I mean, he 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 was the head of the Chicago chapter after Fred Hampton died. Yeah. You know, we got I got comrades as the professors right now in colleges. Hmm. You know, we wasn't no bunch of dumb people. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we decided to dedicate our life to to serving the people. You know, I could have stayed in college and you know went on and in fact one of my friends that took me to that first meeting. Yeah. He became CEO of one of the biggest companies in Europe. We oh, still wow. communicate. Mm. You know. Uh so uh but that's why I like to remember just a certain people. Yeah. the so for those um listening and will like to contact you or, or follow you, um how could they go by doing so? Okay, well, on Facebook is just John Creer, John J O H N Creer, C R E A R. Okay. And and then uh, my email address is Bunchy, B U N C H Y C zero zero at gmail dot com. All right, fellas, any closing remarks? Uh, we just appreciate it. As Man, we thank you so so much. Um, I plan on keeping as much contact with you as I can. And uh, you'll be hearing from us again. Oh, yeah. Okay, brothers. Uh, you know, I appreciate y'all. Like I said, if it wasn't for people like you, then everything we did would have been for nothing. And uh, it's just like Elaine Brown told me the last time she, she was here. She said, Bunchy, you know one thing about it, we all going down in history. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I appreciate Y'all helping us keep the legacy alive. Right on. Yeah. All power to the people. All power to the people. All power to the people, brother. All right, brother. That was dope, man. That was really dope. Uh-huh. Sometimes Sorry. you just got to sit down and listen. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, this one was needed. Uh, fellas, before we get out of here, uh, any closing remarks? Where can they find y'all at? Uh, Twitter and Instagram, Young Al Bundy, Y-U-N-G underscore Al underscore Bundy. Huh. Uh... Instagram, Skinny Junior seven seven seven. You from the seven? <laughs> As always, man, you can follow me on Twitter at Just Call Me Spence. That's J U S. Call me S P E N C. Follow the podcast pages on Twitter at Views from the Seven, on Instagram at Views from the underscore Seven, and on Facebook at Views from the Seven. We out. Peace. Peace.